Good evening, and welcome to the Future of Health Coaching July 2016 conversation. I'm Reggie Mara, Creative Director at Teleosis Institute, and on behalf of Dr. Joel Kreisberg and myself, thank you for joining us tonight. I'm really excited and happy to introduce our guest tonight, Dr. Michael Brandt Maria, who is first and foremost a good soul friend and fellow poet and Vision Quest alumni. But he deserves a slightly more formal introduction, so I'm going to go with the, uh, the formal version as well. For over 30 years, Michael has been guiding others on their life journeys as an author, yoga instructor, meditation instructor, and four-time Grammy-nominated recording artist. He brings an integrative, holistic approach to helping the whole person throughout their life journey. Michael combines Eastern, Western, and Indigenous approaches in his healing work, bridging the worlds of depth psychology, mindfulness practice, and expressive arts in a unique, dynamic, and accessible way. In his latest book, Peace Within, he discusses his journey through his own dark night of the soul, which inspired him to write this companionable workbook for integrative wellness. The book is also the basis for his new training program, Peace Within, Process for Integrative Wellness. Welcome, Michael. Thanks, Reggie. It's great to be here. I'm really um, honored to have a chance to connect with you. Always enjoy our time together, and in particular, you know, talking about something so near and dear to my heart. So thanks for having me at Teleosis. Yeah, no, you're, you're very welcome. So what I'd like to do to, to begin, and again, you know, our history um, involves, you know, vision quest and, and soul work, um, but we do know each other as, uh, as writers and poets, and I know you as a musician, you don't know me as that. But what, two things I'd love to tie together at the very beginning and see where they take us. Um, one is teleosis, we work with narrative healing, using story as a healing modality. And I know that you do that um, with both music and words. Um, and then the second thing I'd like to tie in is your, your very, very specific uh, intention behind including the heart in addition to mind, body, soul, and spirit, which are four more common uh, holistic or integrative uh, approaches to uh, guiding the whole person. So could you just say a little bit about um, how you use both music and language to bring a more heart-centered approach, or to say it in a different way, to add the heart to what many of us would say is already an integrative approach uh, to healing the whole person? Absolutely, Rich. So the heart is kind of my central focus. You know, we hear so much about mind-body, mind-body-spirit, but to me, the heart is the shadow of Western culture, you know, by far, you know, so it goes way back in my mind. And, you know, in some ways, this is also connected to, you know, a patriarchal kind of dominator culture, uh, might is right, hierarchy, uh, seniority, versus seeing each individual as the way I like to talk about it as each of us is a, a nerve ending of the divine, a nerve ending of God, a nerve ending of the universe, a nerve ending of Gaia. And, you know, we know now that actually there's an extraordinary amount of neurons in the heart. Mm -hmm. 
But I tell people, you know, what came first? What, when you were in the womb and being created, what was the first thing that was created? What, you know, and that was your heart, the heartbeat. And everything builds literally anatomically around the heart. And I see this also in our life stories. So I'm, you know, I'm Myers-Briggs, I'm an INFP, I'm an intuitive feeler. I think you might be too. I can't remember exactly what you're Myers-Briggs. Might have been an INFJ. You could be INTJ. God only knows what you are, Reggie. I don't know. Yeah, there's a big J at the end of it, I can guarantee that. There's <laughs> a big J. So, so being an intuitive feeler, uh, I feel my way into things. I have to feel my way into relationships, situations. And musically and in my work, I mean, particularly as a musician, I break every rule there is. I mean, I basically all my albums, there's not one piece of music that's written down. Um, I layer improvisations and it's, it's based upon feeling. Um, it's a feeling I get uh, of a rightness, a connection. So for me, the mind is an incredible tool and instrument for maneuvering this three-dimensional space-time realm. The heart is the organ of connection, connecting to each other, connecting to nature, connecting to our breath, connecting most importantly to the unseen. Uh, the other side of the veil, uh, you could say the wiring under the boards. Um, after losing my mother this last year, I'm even more convinced of the power and importance of the heart as our organ of connecting uh, to the unseen. Um, I think there's a great pr uh, quote in The Little Prince about that which is most valuable can only be seen with the heart. So, so yeah, heart uh, is the beginning and end for me. Yeah, so, so there probably about 75 threads I'd want to follow from what you just said. And I'm going to pick one, though, because you said it at the very outset. And I don't think I've ever heard it said quite this way before. And, I, and this is not something that, that you and I rehearsed. It's really, I've never heard, I don't think I've even heard you say this before. So you referred to the heart as shadow, as shadow element of humanity. And most of us you know, on this call, I'm going to assume, but shadow is that disowned part of ourselves. And shadow can be both negative and positive. We know, we know that. So could you say, I mean, I followed that, but I'd love to hear you go a little bit deeper on, on, on what you mean by the, the shadow aspect of the heart in us as a, as a, as a species, really. As a species, for sure, but even more so as Western culture. Yeah, okay. So when we trace back our culture, we're kind of just in kind of a fancy version of Greco-Roman culture. And so this is a time, you know, Aristotle didn't hold women in high esteem. Uh, they were basically discovering the power of rationality, uh, Aristotelian logic, um, and which found its ultimate, you know, expression in Newtonian physics, Cartesian and Euclidean geometry, basically is looking at analysis and analysis is separate, it's abstraction. Abstraction literally means to step back from, mm -hmm. to observe. So there's a disconnection when we analyze things into their disparate parts. So this has been the bulwark of conquering nature, conquering, and, and there's, there's a obviously positive side to this. I mean, we've learned to make things more predictable in our world. We've been able to control our environments. We've been able to survive as a species more effectively. But that has come at a tremendous price, and the tremendous price is the sense of connection. Mm 
So synthesis, and to me, the sense of connection is a heart practice. And what was happening, you know, these cultures, uh, the idea of moving from egalitarian, more matriarchal cultures that were based upon a more earth-centered, embedded sense of the, the web of life that we find in indigenous cultures um, all over the world, to this very disconnected, uh, alienated, estranged um, sense of separateness, that, that what happens then is the shadow of our culture. I mean, most people in our culture are extraordinarily in their heads. Now, even indigenous people, though, the Cherokee have a beautiful saying. They say the longest journey you will ever make is from your head to your heart. But they also say that our heart is our first teacher. But what happens is, uh, and you know this from the Vision Quest work, when we grow an ego, we're basically going from our heart to our heads. In a soul-centric culture, you then travel back from your head back to your heart. But that doesn't happen in our culture. We stay stuck in the head, and then they, people come to therapy or take drugs or develop addiction. Yeah. So, so, th and thank you for for getting precise with that move when I said species to to bring it down specifically to to Western culture. Because I think that's an important distinction to make. And I appreciate your making it. So, here's a here's a really simple question for you. Um, Given that, and given the ample evidence that we say, I mean, you know, moment to moment in 2016 and the 21st century in Western culture and in our specific and unique American version of that, um, what is the antidote? Um, or another way to say that is how do we convince enough people that the journey from the head to the heart is one worth making because that sense of connection i agree the more connected i am with with you um with my circle of friends with my immediate family with my neighborhood my city my state my nation um my my globe the harder it is for me to uh do damage because it's part of me and so that connection is is essential absolutely yeah. It's, it's the, you're absolutely right. The central um, ethical uh, imperative that, that you're not doing things because you should, ought, or must, but because you literally feel the sense of you're doing something to yourself, you know, that's deep sense of interconnectedness. We know now um, both uh, neurophysiologically that the brain is, is a social organ as much as a, um, a, a, as a biological organ, that it responds extraordinarily to um, communal input. You know, we know even just doing yoga in a classroom with other people and doing the same movements as other people, we're syncing up in a way that has benefits that exceeds what you get doing yoga by yourself in, in you know, at the house. By the other thing, though, is that we also know now that at the level of quantum physics, that everything is deeply interconnected. We know this ecologically, but we also know this physically. That that's not in dispute by any science anywhere that everything is deeply interconnected and interrelated. What's interesting is why does the human brain, at least the way we educate it, experience everything as separate, as, as objects separated in space? You know, in, indigenous languages are so, so much more syncretic, meaning that they're very verb-based. 
So, you know, my Blackfoot teacher could say, you know, gee, Michael, I can go most a week without uttering a verb in Blackfoot. And, you know, for us, our entire metaphysics, which is totally embedded in our language, is subject-object and, and dualistic and noun-based. So, you know, verbs tie things together, but for them, everything is moving in this kind of interconnectedness constantly. So it would be kind of like, you know, you know, I'm Michaeling talking to Regine as we're seeing the moving imaging on the screening. You know, there's this sense of deep, interpenetrated um, interconnectedness, and also it's very presence-centered. So, kind of bringing it back to that simple question, number one, we can tell people we know this scientifically. I can tell people this just to ask them to say, you know, I mean, what is connection ultimately? A form of love. Mm. When people feel loved and feel loving, um, and this is not an ego love, this is a soul love to me because it's connection. The ego is see seeking acceptance and approval um, because the ego and the rational egoic mind is experiencing everything as separate, so there's a lot of fear. When we're heart-centered, and the heart is the doorway to the soul, the gateway, and this is found in virtually all spiritually evolved cultures, the soul not only seeks connection and, and wants authentic connection, but it experiences everything as deeply interconnected. And, and all of a sudden, everything shifts and changes. You know, what we both learned in, in the Vision Quest work is you experience your full membership in the natural world, right? Mm -hmm. You realize we are not separate from nature. We are part and parcel of nature. I used to love Stephen Foster when he said, when, you know, we talk about, well, the big lie. And the big lie of the last 2,000 years is somehow we are separate and apart from nature, that somehow we're intrinsically different than nature. And, and what a terrible lie that's been, right? Mm -hmm. um, that actually when we begin to experience our deep interconnectedness with all things and that we are part of not only nature but Gaia, um, and she is part of us, um, that, that immediately... You know, I think mean, it's one of the healing powers of the Vision Quest work or wilderness therapy is it immediately brings you a deeper sense of ontological security, which is feeling more secure in your very basic sense of being in the world. And this being in the world is supported by interconnection, which is which is love. And, and, and that's the heart. Yeah, so... As you say that, I actually saw something, and speaking about interconnection, I, admit, I, I saw it on Facebook. In fact, uh, as a quick aside, I think you have the record as of the last 48 hours for appearing on, on my Facebook page more times than anyone, anyone else. As we, Bless you. I'm so honored. As we, as we announced this and kept tagging each other, so that was pretty funny to see that. And actually, I'm glad, I'm glad it's there. There are worse things that could appear on that page. But somebody sent... Uh, made a post that, that basically said uh, the ongoing research on depression, that, what, that the antidote, to one really strong antidote to depression beyond medication and talk therapy is in fact connection. Um, and made it, and so it's, a, it's a little bit off what we were just talking about. I want to make the, no pun intended, make the connection with that because um, we're, right now we're doing a virtual conversation. We're not in the same room. There are people, you know, I don't know how many people about 15 or 20 right now that are on the call. Um, I th my 
direct experience of this. I, and I love the opportunity to see your face and hear your voice and connect from some, I don't know, 1,700 miles or 2,000 miles away. I don't know the exact geography. Um, you just like your head because it's like yours. Yeah, that's it. I'm really with my brother now, yeah. That's right, that's right. Italian bald men, I mean, <laughs> it doesn't get any better than, I'm sorry, I'm just... That's okay, but we Joel's on the call too, so we, we like any bald men, especially Jewish bald men. So. Um, but the, there is nothing quite like, there, there's a huge difference between the Facebook video email texting connection that you know everybody's walking around looking at their phone nowadays and the real intimate human um in the room under the same sky flesh to flesh connection um and when you were speaking about how we are not separate from nature but we are in fact part of it that message can get lost really easily for those folks who live almost exclusively in glass, asphalt, concrete, steel, and plastic, I guess, worlds. Um, so how, how do we, and I'm not asking you to give the definitive answer to how we do this, but how do we continue to share what you're talking about, this heart connection and this, this need for connection, um, not only with the human species, but with the planet as a whole, uh, with folks who are just, by, from the time they were born, were disconnected from it? Yeah. It's a great question, and, and there's no easy answer, but I, I can say that part of the power of, and part of the mission of this particular... Uh, are we having technical problems there? I'm hearing a few no, we're, all, we're actually okay. Somebody just signed on, and they, they're not muted yet, so... Um, okay. Got you, got you, got you. No worries. Um, so, the, for those who didn't hear that, the question of how, how do we support this and people who may be stuck in the concrete jungle or not connected to nature. So, one of my moves, as you know, Reggie, from, from my, if I could put up, from my last book, Peace, uh, Ever Flowing On, which is really was written during my 10 years as a wilderness guide, vision quest guide. And I really, even for me, I had to be out there, Reggie. Between training or guiding, I was out there 40, 50 days a year. And it was extraordinary. It was powerful. I needed to be there at that time. Mm -hmm. But what's happened in the last 10 years as a yoga meditation teacher, particularly doing these lying down meditations, which is kind of the center point of the Peace Within process in my new book, Peace Within, is that outer nature is a mirror of our inner nature and that we each have this amazing wilderness inside. And this wilderness is not in the head. It's not the, it's, that's a different kind of wilderness, I guess we could call it, conditioned thoughts, you know, the conditioning that we have and we take ourselves to be. But when we journey back into the heart, which is the gateway to the soul, dream work, uh, poetry, which is a love of both of ours. So, you know, I talk about my holy trinity, nature, yes, but also creativity, spirituality, which we begin to explore these feeling dimensions. And so to me, you know, there's that um, beautiful quote by, um, you know, Rilke when he talks about emotions being, you know, a messenger from beyond. Um, and, um, or is it Rumi, the, the guest house? That's Rumi, actually, right? Rumi. Yeah. 
Yeah, for me, the guest house, uh, uh, you know, that feeling, the feeling dimension, what's really interesting is the difference between feelings and emotions. And a lot of people see them as, as the same thing, but feelings are this streaming of energy moving through us, like the weather patterns of, of that bring all life to the planet. I mean, without weather, and even though we have the storms, I make this point in the book that that I I talk about the mind being like the sky, the earth being like the body, but the water cycle of the planet is like the heart, just like the blood that's flowing through the, the, the body, the water that flows through the earth are both synonymous with the emotions that are flowing through our body. And that if we can't selectively numb ourselves, so if we're trying to get rid of or numb the pain or suffering, we're gonna numb the joy. We're not going to feel the joy. And that's what we've done in our culture is, is we medicate, we cut out. So feelings for me, emotions are feelings that you develop all kinds of conceptualizations about. But really pure, exquisitely pure feeling is um, a wilderness, is a nature. It is nature, not just your own inner nature, which is that innermost mysterious essential core of who you are, which is your soul but that which is also connected to everyone and everything else. So this is where we can begin to tap into synchronicity. When you tap into, you know, when you meet somebody, you just feel that connection where you feel a sense of presence, you know, you, because, you know, even in the concrete jungle, nature is everywhere. I mean, Joseph Campbell used to love to talk about microphones as being, you know, a messenger of the divine, you know, that, that, that what's going on here, even <clears throat> I do make a difference between primary nature and secondary nature. For me, this is in a, a future book, but primary nature is nature unmediated by human nature. Secondary nature is primary nature mediated by human nature. Okay. The more that human nature creates secondary nature in accordance and with awareness and mindfulness of primary nature, the more exquisite and in alignment secondary nature can be with primary nature. So I think we're in a period of time where we've got to get our secondary nature more in alignment with primary nature, but it's still nature. I mean, you can still find the divine in a concrete jungle um, if you're present and in your heart. Um, so these, these, these questions and solutions, I think, are incredibly paradoxical, incredibly subtle, and incredibly complex. Um, so I've come a long way since our Vision Quest days where I was a bit of a reactionary and romantic of just wanting to go back to what uh, Robert Johnson and Carl Jung would say a two-dimensional solution, which is kind of a literal solution, you know, go back to being hunter-gatherers. It, it's not possible. It's not going to work. They say we're kind of in this three-dimensional space, so we're moving to become four-dimensional uh, men and women, which means we learn also how to live a symbolic life. But if it's not connected to the heart, and part of that is, you know, the narrative work you guys do is telling a story that arouses or stirs the heart is part of the healing. Yeah, so, so thank you for, for bringing that full circle back to um, the narrative or, or the story. And a, a big, so part of a story that I've been listening to, and I, I'd love to hear your take on this, and not that I've been listening to it, but I think we've all been listening to it. Um, there, there's a, a story of of, of anger and, and, and violence in this country right now. Um, and it's, there are a lot of simplistic solutions thrown out there and none of them work. And it, it almost seems to me, I don't think I've said this out loud before, but 
this seems like a really dangerous and unsafe place to say it, so I will. Um, it, it almost seems to me is that we need, it seems as though we as a, as a culture need more of this before we're able to, to realize that in fact we are all connected and we need to stop it because we haven't had enough yet. And when I say we, it's a collective we, you know, it's not anybody on this call, I'm sure it's not you and me, but in fact, um, there, there's this lack of connection and there's this sense of separation that leads us to, you know, Americans to kill about 91 of themselves uh, every day in this country with, with gun, gunshots. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a terrible situation. And, and again, it's, 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 the other solution is, is increasing the level of sensitivity and wakefulness. And, and that's a hard thing to do. And sensitivity and wakefulness usually comes through suffering. You know, that the subtitle that, that I took the month of May off, you know, my mother uh, passed away in last September, was birthed into spirit, as I like to say. Um, and I swear the feeling of her soul leading through her heart was so palpable the time when the door opened and the breeze came into the, the room, which is uh, becoming the topic of a new album, uh, The Wind Is My Mother. Um, but this new book I was just compelled to write, um, which won't come out for at least a year, but it's called Heart Warrior, Birthing Wisdom and Love from the Darkness of Life. And, and the idea is that wisdom and love, compassion, is born through darkness and suffering. It's just like how does how does a seed germinate? Uh, how you know it 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 comes through the darkness. It's very interesting to me that the heart is bathed in darkness. You know our entire lives. It never sees light. It's living in the dark. Um, when we germinate a new child, it's in the darkness of the womb. You know we we don't have an appreciation for the healing and uh, positive darkness. And if we don't, then we end up having a shadow of darkness and violence. So the other way people we understand psychologically in literature, we talk about violence or aggression as discharging emotion that that person is not able to manage. So often what's happening is the tremendous amount of suffering. Everyone who is acting out violence is incredibly, in, incredible pain that they've never been taught how to work with. Um, manage, explore, you know, so, you know, Jung made this point and I, it's the main focus of Peace Within the Heart, which is one of the chapters in my new book. We're in the situation where, you know, don't act out the feeling. Violence is an acting out of a feeling. But also if we repress the feeling, that doesn't work either. And usually what happens, people repressing, 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 and then all of a sudden explodes in acting out. So people will say, okay, you don't want me to act it out. You don't want me to repress it. Well, what do I do with it? Well, and this is what we talk about cradling the emotion and exploring the emotion. This is part of what you do in narrative healing. This is part of what we do in, in uh, peace within work. This is part of what we do in vision quest work is we tell our stories. We explore the different intricacies of how this emotion came to be. And we come into this more pure feeling dimension and we can find ways to communicate these feelings that are bigger than words there's another thing sometimes through painting dancing singing movement storytelling we can begin to give a shape to this emotion 
and find a way to transform it into something that's um, even beautiful, if not at least wise and compassionate, and we can learn from and actually redeem ourselves, and we begin to work with these emotions. When we don't do that, and we're not giving people the opportunity to do that, it's going to erupt into violence. You know, so you can think about, you know, a lot of old stories that, that demons are nothing more than, or evil is nothing more than lots of energy and very little consciousness. So, you know, the idea is how to bring consciousness to these emotions, but we don't give these young people um, any rich, deep stories. We're giving very thin stories, very literal stories, whether religion or even science. Science isn't giving any depth to the heart and soul. I'm sorry. Um, we, we need new myths. We need new stories. We need opportunities for young people to find meaning that's not, that they're not finding in these simple, dualistic, black and white, polarized dualities. Yeah. So, so two, two things you said, one of them was probably close to five minutes ago, but I think it's really important. Um, you mentioned your mom's passing. And just for folks on, the, on this particular call, um, and because it was public, I'm going to say this, what, what Michael did, and I'm, sure, I'm going to guess it's still up there, but on Facebook, I remember distinctly your very vulnerably and, and just honestly sharing on Facebook her final hours and, and I'd say even final days. Uh, but it was just, a, just an incredibly loving, touching, and, uh, and I was vulnerable um, sharing that, that anybody who knew you on Facebook could, could read and respond to. And it was especially for, for folks who have not yet been in that realm of watching a loved one die, being with someone who's dying. It was an extraordinarily generous gift. So, so just, I want to say thank you for that. And people listening can go friend you on Facebook and, and really, I think, benefit from it. I'm not saying that in any you know, light way. Um, so thank you for that. Yeah. And then the, the other thing is I just love, and this is that, that narrative healing again, the, the verb that you used around emotion um, was cradling the emotion and just to, just the power of the words. Um, I can think of several other verbs that would have kind of conveyed something similar, but what cradling brings is just beautiful. So that's just to, to point again to the power of, of, uh, of words and narrative and healing. So thank you for that. Um, thank you, Reggie. Um, yeah, I, I learned so much from that process with mom about being present and, um, and words are powerful and incredibly transformative when we give the, the opportunity to try to find new, new words or try to be as, as faithful or descriptive as we can. Um, you know, uh, words, I mean, how amazing, you know, that we, we're, you know, making these little sound waves with my vocal cords and, and they're going there to you and other people. Um, and if we bring a sense of, of presence to our words or, or bring a sense of, of meaning that we are, well, you know, the heart warrior practice, which is part of, we both learn this in the vision quest work, which is, you know, speaking from the heart and listening from the heart, going to the heart to imagine your words coming through your heart before they come out of your mouth or, or imagine speaking from the heart center like that they're coming through your chest. I mean, these are really energetic truths. 
Um, and, and again, what happens, you know, children do this, but then we begin being educated out of speaking from the heart. Um, when I first started working with some native teachers, you know, uh, I realized why, you know, the, the Western white men would come and say that, you know, they, they thought they weren't intelligent because they, they spoke so little and they would wait a long time to speak where it was the exact opposite, you know, these white folks who were totally in their heads um, and missing this deep interconnectedness that was something that was hard won and, and used, you know, a great deal. One of my favorite examples of this is how Native people would train uh, their hunters and the first kill for a young man had to be done with a knife because you'd have to track that animal you know, for days, if not weeks, to be able to kill it with a knife because you have to know where it slept, where it ate, where it drank. And by the time you made that kill, you would feel that it was a brother or a sister. And if you didn't cry after you took that, that life, um, they wouldn't let you hunt again because they knew you would take too much and you wouldn't honor the life that was given. And and this is totally lost on us. You know, one of the one of the strategies of the patriarchal dominator society is cynicism and sarcasm. You know, and 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 sarcasm literally means the ripping of the flesh. And so we've really been we've done to outer nature, raping and pillaging nature, what we've done to our inner nature, which is the heart dimension, is this tenderness, um, is this vulnerability. And to spiritually soul-centric evolved societies, they know that the most, Tibet Buddhism has one of the most beautiful expressions of this, that deep inside the inmost center of the heart lies the, the most intelligent, creative, wise, um, compassionate energy in the universe. And one of its characteristics is tremendous vulnerability and tenderness, and that this is a power this is not a weakness. Mm. One of the things that scared the, the native people most about the white men were that they thought crying was a weakness. Um, and they knew somebody who thought that, number one, was not awake or spiritually evolved, but even worse, that they have no mercy or compassion. So, so these are desperate, these are really desperate questions because to me, the world hangs by a thread you know, and that's the heart of humanity. So I, I really appreciate the depth within which you went there. Um, and I, I, I wish we had another three or four hours to, to talk. And we're not, we're not closing here, but I just actually wish that. But a, a slight move here, maybe a 90 degree turn, if it, if, and I just want to ask you if you'd like to share it a bit, um, because we will probably go another... Um, five to eight minutes and then open up for some, some questions. And if they, there are some, that's great. If they're not, we'll just continue our conversation. But I would love to bring into the conversation that other language that's nonverbal um, that I, um, I occasionally uh, listen to, uh, you know, in here where I live um, through the, the magic of recording. Um, and uh, specifically, the one that probably gets the most listen is the river, but there's a lot, there's a lot there. Um, do you have two or three minutes of, of, uh, of music to share um, and just to speak to uh, the folks on this call? Um, 
uh, in another language? Oh, goodness. Um, do you mean like that I should play some music? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even, I didn't even, I, gosh, do you see that shows? I didn't even bring up the <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's okay. No, I just wanted Which, to ask. Well, you know, I mean, you know, the, the, most, the most scary thing to do would be doing, I've been actually working with Chloe Goodchild on my voice. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you know her. She's uh, the, the naked voice. Uh, yeah, yeah. And she's an extraordinary uh, wisdom teacher. Um, because the voice is the most vulnerable Thing on, the, on the planet and, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, and so many people uh, around the world indigenous people this was the, the the instrument of medicine and healing and the flute has brought me back to my voice actually I actually spend more time working on my voice now than 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 the flute and I um, it, it's it's really powerful <laughs> I've never done this you know, recorded ever. Um, but I suppose I, I could do a little bit. Um, so, so does that sound, do you want to try to do something here? Well, no, I, I want you to do whatever feels comfortable for you. And if doing nothing with your voice feels like the way to go, that works as well. But I, I, I have I to play my little didgeridoo. That's the only thing I have. <laughs> well, I mean, that's actually, that's, that's fine. But because I do remember when we, when we were getting, agreeing that you were going to do this and we were talking about how we wanted to unfold it. I do remember you're saying, well, you know, you know how I am. I would just, you know, I like to improvise. So we just never know what might happen. That's, That's why. Now, you know, what's so funny because I had planned to do this at my house and now I'm at my office and you didn't mention anything about the flute though. But what's, what's really powerful is um, I, to actually tying in with, with my mom, uh, Chloe has an amazing, one of her exercises is you take one deep breath. You know, and I've worked, well, we worked for four years with David Darling and, and, and the actually official um, certified uh, musical improvisation facilitator. I have no idea what that is. Um, I, <laughs> I have a lot of fun playing um, with, you know, I, whether it's my yoga dance class or I do do this art of now or soul singing classes now and they're, they're awesome. I just love them, uh, but usually none of them are recorded. Uh, so one thing she has is similar to David's one breath solo. You take one breath and Chloe shifts it to on that breath. And she discovered this when her father was dying and did this with him, that you imagine this is your last breath. And the sounds you're making are the last sounds you're making on the planet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, so, so, okay. So I'm, I'm going to do this, but it's going to be, I'll do, do one breath. Okay. Let's, let's see what happens. So. So first of all, thank you for doing that. I, I feel as though I I, uh, I snuck up on you with that. Um, but what I really appreciate that is in the context within which we're speaking, um, and I'm going to project slightly here. But I know as a poet, and even as a teacher, um, when I when I'm when I write and when I teach, 
a lot of that is healing for me. All of that is part of my own healing narrative. And, and the, the vulnerability involved in each of those, although I laugh a lot and I have a pretty good sense of humor, um, there is a vulnerability in standing up in front of a group of people, whether to teach, to recite poetry, to play music or whatever, whatever it happens to be. So what I love about what you just did um, was to, this, you know, your own ongoing healing narrative on this call um, unexpectedly to just take that breath and share with us, you know, your, I would say, learning edge or developmental edge that you're developing through now with, with Chloe and share it. So that's just, that's exactly what we're talking about from that heart space. So thank you for that. Thank you, Rich. Uh, yeah. Thanks for giving me a chance to practice when I, I have something good to report to her next week for my next lesson. So yeah, yeah good. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and so what I'd like to do now just to, to um, to just let people know how, if they do have a question, how they can begin to raise their hands. It'll take me about 35 or 40 seconds to give that instruction. So for those of you on the call, if you do have a question for Michael, um, if you put your cursor down towards the bottom of the screen, you'll see a little, uh, right in the middle, say participants. And if you click on that, um, you'll get a little uh, menu that will pop up and there'll be an option at the bottom of it that says raise hand. And if you click on that, your hand will be raised and either I will see it or somebody will tell me that I need to look. So I'll see it and we'll know that you have a question. Um, we will unmute you and um, you'll be able to ask a question. So again, if you would like to ask a question, click on participants um, and uh, click where it says raise hand, your hand will be raised and uh, either I or my partner, Joel Kreisberg, um, will notice that and we will um, give you the floor, okay? So I'm just gonna give about, wait about 10 more seconds to see if anybody has an immediate question. Um, and if not, you and I can continue. Either way, nobody, it's, it's a win. As long as I don't have to sing anymore, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was worried you're gonna ask me to sing. <laughs> That's just not happening. Okay, so so right now there there are no questions. We'll keep monitoring that, and if something comes up, um, you know, I'll let you know. So what I'd like to do is tie. I'm not going to ask you to, to to play an instrument or sing again, but I would like to tie in, you know, that the musical component here, because I'm always I I do I read poetry and I teach a lot. When I, when I teach poetry writing, I often work with other artists. And some of them are photographers, some are visual artists, many of them are musicians. And I'm always jealous of the musicians <laughs> because when I walk in, especially if it's a school, kids will think, oh, more writing. He has poetry, but it's still more writing. But when, when the drummers walk in or the guitar players or the flute players or whomever, it's, it's music. And so could, could you, because you're, I mean, you're a four-time, you studied, studied with David Darling, you're a four-time Grammy nominee. I've listened to your music. Um, I was greatly pleased, I don't know how many years ago when I was on my uh, R. Carlos Nakai Pandora list and suddenly your name came up and, and your music appeared there. I was like, hey, I know that guy. But can, seriously, can you speak to narrative healing through the, um, the lens of music. 
of the, the, the narrative in music? And when you answer that question, then we have, uh, we have a, a question coming up here you know, from an audience okay. member. That's yeah. good. So let me, yeah, try to put that journey, 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 journey. You know, one of the things the uh, Yoruba tribe talks about in Africa is everything is a journey. And music is an awesome journey. So for me, I always, you know, like to remind people and, and you know, actually Reggie helped edit my book. Uh, well, it was the old cover of Moments. And one of my favorite poems, the line from one of my favorite poems there is, each moment is a note in the song of today. Each moment is a note in the song of today. And the whole goal of music is not to get to the end of the song, right, Reg? It's to enjoy each note. And so part of the power of narrative healing is when we begin to find our story, we realize that every moment in the story has been sacred, has been meaningful. That a story is not about getting to the end of the story. It's about experiencing the story all along the way. You know, we used to talk about the Vision Quest stuff, that all the life is on the side of the mountain. There's nothing at the top of the mountain. You know, the, the richness, the life, the, the, the fauna and flora is, is on the way up. So when I'm playing, I'm on a journey and I'm telling a story in, in, in sound and uh, especially using the breath, you know, with the flute or my voice, um, it's so connected to the heart and allows me to tell a soul story or a heart song um, that, that for me, I, I don't have any other way with words to get that close. But stories, you know, when I can tell the story, I'm doing that now. Maybe it's a song I'm sharing right now through words. Um, so I'd say what's what the same, the lens is that they're both journeys, they're both stories, and they're both about redeeming the human experience through the power of creativity. Okay. Yeah, yeah th thank you for that. that. That was actually, and, and just the language as you expressed the story of music through words was itself beautiful. So that was just... Uh, well, you inspired it, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so let's just... Uh, we have two, two folks with questions. So I'm going to take um, Chris first. And he's up here. Uh, if we could get Chris unmuted. Um, and so he's going to ask you a question. Uh, Chris, Chris, I think I, you're on the air. I, it looks like I'm on the air, Reggie. Thank you. Yep. Go ahead. Um, I just wanted to ask, I've been familiar with head stories and heart stories, and my own dream story has brought me to a sacrum story. In other words, in the pelvis realm, in the realm of the first and second chakras. And I'm wondering if Michael or you, Reggie, have been engaged in those realms. And I'll just leave it there. I mean, this is, for me, it could be a very long dream story, but I'm just, when, I'm just kind of throwing out a hook and seeing if there's anything that catches. Great. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for that. Michael, do you want to jump in on that first? Yeah. Well, you know, um, it's a very powerful question, very powerful question. And, and uh, this new book of the Heart Warrior, I have a section on, the wild child, the civil child, and then the, uh, the dream child. And part of what happens 
at the point of adolescence as we open up these other chakras, which are extraordinarily sacred. Sacrum, coming from the same word as sacred. And uh, what the first thought I had from what Chris said um, is that, you know, once we've lost the sacredness of sexuality and particularly the second chakra, the genital chakra is extraordinarily profound because um, this is, this is full of the life energy. You know, this is full of connection, you know, the sense of connection through making love through the perpetuation of the species, but when it just stays there and is not opened up more fully. So the thought I had was when I tell men, you know, that, um, the, the, the womb often is considered the, the heart of, one of the hearts, you know, that there's actually two hearts. The sacrum is actually, looks like a heart. Actually, the sacral bone is a heart-shaped bone that connects the pelvis and the spine. Mm -hmm. And then there's a heart shape to the pelvis. But the man, you know, who, for a man to become whole, he has to learn to be penetrated by the world and um, there are certain traditions that talk about the heart of a man being his womb and he must learn to be penetrated by the world so this idea of as that sacral story comes up and i think there's tremendous amount of wounding for men and women around the, the the sacral stories of coming into our sexuality is a is a uh, growing up um catholic you know, I'm a recovering Catholic, I'm a recovering academic, I'm a recovering lots of things, a recovering codependent. Um, but these, these, these things that can really, really um, open us to the connectedness of all things. I mean, sexuality is an extraordinary, love is an extraordinary, what I call the great loving. That's, that's a book on the other side of Heart Warrior, um, which is looking at this extraordinary spectrum of love. You know, Sanskrit has 90 plus words for love we have one and most of them are nouns and not verbs, you know, so even compassion is a beautiful word, but it's a noun. It's not a verb. Um, we, we are, we have a paltry, very undifferentiated language for love. And I think this causes tremendous amount of anguish, pain, trauma, absolutely around the sacral chakras in, in men and women in our culture and is very connected to the violence that we have. Uh, we, we could go very far in that, but I hope that might have made a few points. Yeah, no, thank thank you so much for that. And and, and I'm not I'm not uh, you know prepared to, to to really answer that question myself. So I'm glad you didn't. I, I think I won't speak for Chris, but I, I think that that was a a really you know wonderful response and a thoughtful response that had covered a lot of ground. So we have time for one more question, which I have here in front of me already. It was was actually written in so it's from Noelle Beth and she she asks in my reading of it the same question in, from two different ways so if I'm misinterpreting that I'll apologize later but here's the question as plant as planet earth gets sicker with population growth climate change pollution and disease what is the effect on individual wellness or despite an individual being in a well place what impact does a quote-unquote sick environment have on health? So they're not exactly the same, but they're, I read them as, as, as uh, very parallel questions. Yeah. Do you want to hear those again, or were they clear? No, I, I've got it. I think yeah. um, huge question and, and a huge 
challenge. And I'll have to say, when I think from my head, I'm a tremendous, I, I can be very pessimistic about where we are and, and with the environmental degradation and, you know, have we gone past the um, point of no return? I, I, I don't know. But again, when I feel from my heart, um, you know, if the Big Bang was expanding any faster or slower by microseconds, no matter what had been created. If we were just a fraction closer to the sun or further away, we would completely burn up. Um, I, I think that my guess is we're going to be coming very, very close to that edge. Um, the bottom line and the answer is um, the health of the environment and our connectedness to the environment is intricately tied to our individual health. I'm eco-psychologist as much as anything, and an eco-psychologist is, you know, builds on the, the native notion, uh, a medicine man or woman or shaman would have been asking, not only looking at your body, but your relationships, not only to the people, but have you been, you know, have you been thanking the river for your, you know, for your water? Have you been thanking the animals that have been feeding your body? Um, are you in good relationship with all things? Um, this incredible, beautiful Lakota term, homitakuasin, means all my relations, or probably more accurately, all are related, hyphenated. Um, and it doesn't mean catch it again because it's, it's, it's a very uh, uh, verb-based interconnectedness, how everything is, 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 is interrelated. So we are in precarious times. What I can say is that our well of inner nature is infinite and inexhaustible. Now, I'm not saying that's always going to be present in the three-dimensional space-time that we're existing in on this particular planet, but the inner cosmos is every bit as vast as the outer cosmos. In fact, I think the Copernican revolution going on today, just like at the time you would have said back at Middle Ages that if you were somebody who said, oh, you know, the sun's not moving, you know, I mean, the, the earth's not moving, the sun's moving, you know, you would be burned at the stake, you'd be called an idiot, you'd be called psychotic. To me, that the big Copernican revolution going on today is that we're not objects in space. Consciousness and awareness is not in the body. The body and everything we see is floating in a vast field of awareness and consciousness. And we've been so educated out of that. And, and one day that will, that will be, oh my gosh, they were living in, the dark, dark, dark ages, um, you know, be, because they didn't realize, because as soon as you wake up to that fact and realize everything has an awareness, everything is conscious or everything is in this field. And the reason I'm saying that is that we are able then, even in the ecological degradation, there are ways that we can become extraordinarily healthy and then affect our environment in positive ways. If you're thinking of yourself as simply a skin encapsulated ego of consciousness, you're going to feel very at the mercy of the environment. I'm not saying we don't have to heal the environment. We have to heal our relationship with the environment. But we are much vaster than we have any idea. And we have vast reserves of creativity, um, compassion, wisdom. And, and I, I feel it's incredibly important to stay optimistic. And that happens when you're in the heart space where you can touch this infinite field of consciousness and awareness and then become an agent of change and agent of health on the planet and in whatever small environment you find yourself. 
Yes, and so first, Noel Beth, thank you for that for that question, and Michael, thank you for that. You know, you're spoiling us. I mean, for that again, I think very focused and 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 at the same time expansive uh, response. And it, again, it makes me want to you know stay on for another hour or two, which which we're not going to do. Um, we have telephone conversations that go that long. <laughs> I know, but that didn't involve other people in a recording. Um, so what I would like to do, though, is I want to just do a couple of logistical things before we formally say goodbye and, uh, and I thank you. But for those of you who are listening, um, you want to find out more about um, Michael's work, you can go to his website, which is michaeldemaria.com. There's a link to it on Teleosis' site. Um, if you found us here, you can um, you can find it that way. But it's just it's, it's his, just spell it correctly. It's michaeldemaria.com. Um, you can learn more about his work and about his recordings and about his books. You can find his recordings and his books up on Amazon as well. They are there. Um, I checked um, about 10 minutes before we went on there just to make sure that I didn't say something that wasn't true. But they have been there and they still are, so I'm happy about that. Um, and then just a couple of quick teleosis announcements before we close. Um, the next Future of Health Coaching Conversation will be August 10th, that could become the 17th, but for now it's August 10th, with Nicole Hodson, who's the di Executive Director of the National Association of Nutrition Professionals. Um, she's made it her life's mission to promote whole foods nutrition and those who teach it in every way possible. So that's Nicole Hods Hodson, excuse me, on August 10th. Um, our upcoming class schedule at Teleosis includes Befriending Resistance, Inspiring Motivation, which will be beginning in August. Stay tuned to learn more about that. And finally, um, I'm not sure all who's on this call, but three of the authors of the new Coaching and Healing, Transcending the Healing Narrative book um, are on this call. Uh, myself, uh, Joel Kreisberg, and uh, Lois McNaughton, at least I think Lois was on, and it's, uh, you can find more about that book at coachingandhealingbook.com. Um, it just hit the Amazon site last week, and there are actually 10 authors who somehow got together and wrote a book. So we're, that's, that's a miracle in and of itself. Um, but having said all of that, um, from the bottom of my heart, um, I want to, and, and again, I know we're speaking about the heart, but I actually just meant that because that's how I talk. Um, I want to really thank Dr. Michael Brandt de Maria, Michael, my friend, um, for spending an hour with us tonight for bringing um, what, in my experience, you have always brought, whether it's um, in dance down in Madison, Virginia at Seven Oaks Retreat Center, uh, whether it's through drumming, whether it's through um, flute playing, uh, whether it's just through your, your just whether it's through your poetry or just your, your speaking, thank you for your 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 uh, bringing the whole enchilada into whatever you do. It's it's really great to, to be with you, and uh, just just again, thanks very much. God bless you, Reggie. I, I love you. You know that you're one of my favorite people, and it was nothing but a joy. And I appreciate being here with you, and and thrilled with all that you're doing in the world, and and ditto. Yeah, thanks. So on behalf of Dr. Michael Brandt de Maria, myself, Reggie Mara, Teleosis Institute, and our executive director, Joel Kreisberg, thank you very much for joining this edition of the Future of Health Coaching Conversations. Have a good night. <laughs>